James Hetfield, Metallica Never Fails. Uh, welcome to your Wednesday edition of Discussions. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier, and uh, we are broadcasting from a new booth uh, in, right, in Winwood, Winwood, uh, Winwood Radio. So um, I haven't been on for a couple weeks, and uh, lots to report, lots of new stuff to report. Thanks for, for joining and re-listening and supporting the program. Uh, and uh, quickly, I want to thank Johnson Sedulis. He is my and our uh, talented video editor. So he's putting, uh, putting stuff up to YouTube and uh, trying to redistribute what uh, goes live here every Wednesday at 5 o'clock. Again, you've joined Discussions this is Winwood Radio. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. I also want to thank Proctor17. They're a local production company specializing in small films. And uh, Blair and Alex are two members of Proctor17. Uh, we have been in discussions of collaborating with both of them. Blair is talking about uh, joining the program to write. Uh, and uh, and Alex, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about him. He's the uh, the president of Proctor Seventeen. Again, they're a local Miami-based production company. Of course, as always, Dr. Serena Goldstein, New York-based uh, doctor of naturopathic medicine. I want to uh, I want to commend her for having not only been a past guest but a continued supporter of discussions. Uh, uh, show every Wednesday at five o'clock this week. Now, uh, quickly, uh, the guest of the latter past two weeks, um, April Lejeune, is is being rescheduled. Uh, she is a uh, radio uh, personality, uh, thirty years under her belt in the in the um, industry, and unfortunately, I had to re. Schedule her. Also, last week, um, Kevin Ship, a former CIA agent, uh, was due to to join program, uh, and I'll have both of those rescheduled dates for you at a later point, as soon as I have those dates available for you. This week, Paul Craig Roberts will be joining us, and that'll be in about ten minutes. Next broadcast. April 4th, we'll be hosting Dr. Paul L. Williams. He's got a BA in English from Wilkes University, a Master's of Divinity, and PhD in Philosophy from Drew University. What is interesting about the work that Dr. Paul has done and dedicated his life to? He's the first person to have won the prestigious Keystone Press Award three times in separate categories in the same year. Williams served as a consultant to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. For seven years, focusing on terrorism and as a consultant on mafia criminal organizations. His writings have appeared in the USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and the National Review. He makes regular appearances on such news outlets as NPR, MSNBC, and Fox News. His book, The Vatican Exposed, 2003 became subject of a documentary for the Discovery Channel, Operation Gladio. And our guest today may talk a little bit about this. But is the unholy alliance between the Vatican 
the CIA, and the Italian Mafia is being developed into a miniseries for the American Movie Classic channel, which brings to mind Mark Shaw. Now, fortunately, I will be in Oregon next week in California, and I am scheduled to meet with Mark Shaw. He's been a guest on the program two times. If you caught recent episodes about three, four weeks ago, Variety Magazine just published an article on Mark Mark's recent book, to which he's addressed on this show twice. The Dorothy Kilgallen story, that is the reporter who knew too much, just got signed by a, a, a production company tied to Paramount Pictures. Okay, And we'll have more information on that as that is developed. But Mark Shaw's book, again, Mark has been former guest on this program, will be picked up, it has been picked up, and will be moving either to a made-for-TV movie or a made-for-silver-screen uh, uh, big-screen uh, movie. Why is that important? Because the Dorothy Kilgallen story is tied right into her personal investigation of the JFK assassination. And Mark is assured. He's a former defense attorney. He's written over 25 books. He's a legal analyst. He's uh, analyzed the O.J. Simpson case, the uh, Kobe Bryant case, Mike Tyson. He's a high-profile lawyer. And he says, he exposes, if you will, in his book why JFK was killed. Okay, Now, there's various theories on that, but the reporter who knew too much describes what Dorothy Kilgallen and the road that Dorothy was down and what led to her supposed death by uh, by uh by uh, 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 drugs. Okay, so today Paul Craig Roberts and uh you know what? I'm going to I'm going to uh, segue a little bit more because I want to make another announcement and that is May 30th Wayne Road will be appearing back on the on the show for a second time. Wayne has written the book uh Vaccine Court. Okay? Uh why is Vaccine Court important because his kids were highly vaccinated. He said, "This is something. There's something weird going." On. And this has been a subject that I've talked about. There's something weird going on with these vaccines. He collected information from experts, uh, MDs, PhDs, whatever. He took his case to court, and he tried to take the pharmaceutical company to court directly. And the federal government stepped in and says, "No, we're going to send you here, where a, a, an agent of the federal government represents the pharmaceutical company, and that's called vaccine court." You probably didn't even know that existed. But Wayne knows firsthand because both his boys, and I believe they're both in their early 20s now, um, they developed autism after they were vaccinated. So that's an ongoing controversy. I'm not making any accusations, but I like to bring on people who know a lot more about the subject than I do so that we can inform me and you and everyone else to be informed. So Wayne Road is joining program May 30th, and he will be joined. This just came in today. From NYU professor Mary Holland. And Mary Holland has written the following book. Okay, she's written her own book. And that book is The Vaccine Epidemic New Cooperative, excuse me, How Cooperative Greed, Biased Science, and Coercive Government 
threaten our human rights, our health, and our children. These are not light subjects. She's a research scholar, again, from the NYU School of Law. She'll be joining us with Wayne Road, author of The Vaccine Court. That is May 30th. Next week, again, Dr. Paul. And uh, we'll be following that up with a, um, a group that, uh, that, that, for those of you who have children with autism, that know children of autism or folks with autism and want to help how to deal with it. Autism is a fact of life. It's on a rise. It's becoming an epidemic. We got to learn how to deal with it. Okay. We got to learn how to care for these people. So uh, that'll be uh, April 11th. Paul Craig Roberts, former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Treasury for Economic Policy under the Reagan administration. He'll be on the program in about six minutes. He'll discuss his world economic view with a concentration on the book he's written, How America Was Lost, from 9-11 to the Police Warfare State. He's a native of Atlanta, Georgia. Again, I'm down in Miami. Dr. Roberts has a BA in economics from the Georgia Institute of Technology. He's got a PhD in economics from the University of Virginia and was a fellow of economics at the University of Oxford. Under Reagan, he and his staff successfully combated stagflation, price inflation, and stagnation, which then plagued the American economy. Having authored a dozen books and co-written many others, Paul has been published in journals such as the Journal of Political Economy, Studies in Banking and Finance, Slavic Review, Soviet Studies, Zeitschrift für Wirtschaftspolitik. Okay, I totally uh, did not get that right, but uh, if, if I came across somewhat right, then you understand that was German. It's a political publication on Germany. Journal of Law and Economics and many others. He has been highly outspoken about events ranging from the Boston bombings, 9-11, the Orlando shootings, and Anwar al-Awlaki. According to ActivistPost.com, 2011, he's listed as one of the top 10 most influential people in the alternative news arena. Probably a guy like Alex Jones holds that top spot. A quote from Dr. Roberts. Is the war on terror a hoax? That was a question to him, rather. He argued that it's killed, maimed, dislocated, and made widows of or- or- and orphans of millions of Muslims in six countries. Roberts called the attacks naked aggression on civilian population and infrastructure that constitute war crimes. Roberts contends that, just like Operation Gladio, there's that, there's that Operation Gladio again. Okay? And, and, and as far as operations go, go back into, I believe it's the late 50s, something called Operation Paperclip. You probably have no idea about, because I didn't about a year ago. But Operation Paperclip. Okay, Operation Gladio. The war on terror has been perpetrated by military-industrial complex. That is a buzz phrase that you should become familiar with, as long as I'm able to broadcast uh, freely, as long as free speech remains a cornerstone of the Constitution and allows us all to exercise it openly and freely, the military-industrial complex and the insane neoconservatives under an agenda of U.S. world hegemony. Two of the academic appointments Dr. Roberts has held, the senior research fellow at the Stanford Hoover Institute. Why is the Stanford Hoover Institute familiar with listeners of my program? Because I back most of what I talk about off of the research and the findings of Dr. Anthony Sutton, who's a former Stanford Hoover fellow. Okay? And he dire- he's, he's directly lined up, 
no longer uh, alive. But he's directly lined up with Charlotte Eisenbitt, who's a former guest of my program. She wrote The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. She's also a former Reagan advisor. Okay, so he's a former research fellow at the uh, Stanford Hoover Institute, William E. Simon Chair in Political Economy in the Center for Strategic and International Studies at Georgetown University. Additionally, Paul Craig Roberts was a joint professor of economics and, stu- and business administration at George Mason University. Check out my website for more information, or a repeat of that information, but more information on other, guest, on other guests. That's iantrottier.com. That's I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R.com. Slash radio, all caps, R-A-D-I-O. Follow me on Twitter. The handle is at Ian Trottier. That's I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Follow me on Instagram, at Ian Trottier. Nothing against Cambridge Analytics and certainly nothing against Facebook. And while I'm at it, since WhatsApp's very popular these days, actually the founder of WhatsApp has recently put $5 million towards a new app, Thank you, Michael. Called Signal. Okay. Now, alternative to WhatsApp, it's uh, encrypted, it's encoded. Privacy, folks, becomes increasingly more not only important, but rare. So here we are. Another great show for you. Thanks for joining Winwood Radio. I am your host for Wednesday's 5 o'clock show, Discussions, Ian Hamilton Trottier, and I shall return momentarily
Okay, welcome back. I am your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. You're tuned in to Discussions on Winwood Radio, your weekly Wednesday edition. I have on today a very impressive guest and Paul Craig Roberts. Uh, Paul, Craig, Paul Craig Roberts has joined us. Paul, are you with us? Let's check that. Oh, here we are. Here we are. Okay, there we are. <laughs> Just uh, a little mixer board. Uh, Paul, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Fantastic. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, for listeners out there, I, again, I, I gave a brief uh, background on, uh, on on Dr. Roberts. Uh, he's a former fellow at the University of Oxford. He's also a former fellow at the Stanford Hoover Institute. Uh, he's a, an advisor, former advisor under the Reagan administration. And his book, a very important uh, book for all of us to know, um, the uh, 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 Paul, would you would you give the name the title of that book again? I'm, I'm looking forward. I just mentioned it. Would you would you, re, would you give us the a uh, little bit about yourself and mention your book if you would for a moment? Uh, okay. Sorry, sorry about that. I'll introduce myself. I'm former assistant secretary of the United States Treasury and former editor of the Wall Street Journal. Got about a dozen books, so I'm not sure which one you're talking about. I think it's how I just, I just found it. How America was lost. From 9-11 to the police warfare state. Uh, yeah, that was one a few years ago. Yeah, how America was lost. Um, and the neoconservative threat to international order, that's one. Um, the failure of uh, laissez-faire capitalism, that's another. These are recent ones. And uh, I run a website that's ran around the world. Yes. What is that, please? Uh, Paul, would you repeat that for us, please? Um, what, the whole thing? Yeah, the name of the website. <laughs> oh, it's www.paulcraigroberts.org. Uh, O-R-G. PaulCraigRoberts.org, and you make um, you make uh, daily entries. Uh, I, I'd imagine you've got you've got some writers writing for you that also make their entries, um, and uh, that runs twenty four seven. I take it, right? Uh, that's that's fantastic. Now, so Paul, let me ask you. Um, let me ask you very uh, kind of directly. You've you've dedicated your life to studying economics and mastering economics and understanding global economics. You've obviously achieved some exceptionally high credentials in the field of economics in so much that you've been a, uh, a very important uh, player and cog in understanding the, uh, the way the U.S. views and, uh, uh, and conducts economics on a global scale. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking, of course, on, under Ronald Reagan and the, the post that you held there. But what, I, what I'm interested in understanding, Paul, is what was it in your career that took you back and perhaps maybe by surprise that said, okay, wait a second, 
something in the operation of how this country is going about their business and our business, because we're all Americans, we're all in this together, doesn't add up. There's something that's not right. And to give you give you perhaps maybe a little bit of an understanding of, of, of where I'm coming from. So a few weeks back, uh, we were very fortunate on the program to to uh, to host uh, Stephen Kinzer, who's a former columnist at the uh, at the New York Times. He's currently a professor at the uh, at the Watson Institute uh, at Brown, and he wrote a book called um, the the True Flag. And the True Flag um, is a phrase that comes from a convocation that was given at the University of Chicago in 1899 by uh, Carl Schurz. He was a professor, or excuse me, he was a, a U.S. congressman from Missouri. And in that speech, he said, and this is 1899, he says, he says we've got to get back to the meaning of the, the true flag of this country, the, 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 the human rights, the freedoms of, of George Washington, of Abraham Lincoln. Um, and this is back in 1899. And at the time, there was this very anti-imperialistic movement and a, a, and a, vehement, a, a vehement kind of opposition that Mark Twain, prolific uh, American writer, had with the Teddy Roosevelt uh, organization. There's quite a bit of mudslinging going on there. So our our conversation was was a little bit about touching about touching on some of the same type of um, theology, if you will, about handling American international business of today with Trump and whatnot. But in your career, what what, what would you say? What was it that kind of you there was that kind of that that moment that you you thought, wait a second, things aren't adding up right? Well. I don't quite know how to answer that because um, all along at uh, every stage of my career, I've seen things that didn't add up right and made efforts to fix them. The Keynesian explanation um, used for macroeconomic policy didn't add up and that's uh, why we came up with supply-side economics um, then <clears throat> um, later of course uh, globalism doesn't add up it's just a way of um, exploiting uh, labor abroad at the expense of domestic labor and it's a way of <laughs> essentially uh, forcing underdeveloped countries to give up uh, self-sufficiency in agriculture and produce uh, one export crop that the West can make money off of so that that doesn't add up. Um, the IMF and the World Bank don't add up. They're basically exploitative mechanisms for looting lesser countries. Um, the offshoring of jobs, which they sometimes call globalism, that doesn't add up. It destroys the domestic uh, purchasing power of consumers. So there's a great deal that uh, <laughs> it doesn't that doesn't add up. In fact, I would say the entirety of neoliberal economics is wrong. It ought to be flushed. It's 
it's a perversion of uh, economics. They need to go back to the classical tradition. The financialization of the economy is is wrong. Um, when they deregulated, that was wrong. In fact, I can't think of anything they've done right. What is? So, yeah, go ahead. No, well, that's uh, <clears throat> that's a big, long, general issue um, answer. Yeah. Um, what? So, so without. Uh, you mentioned classic economics for for listeners out there um, trying to understand a little bit more. And I want to get into nine eleven because I think that changed uh, that changed America drastically. Um, and 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 to kind of talk about uh, the title of your book, how America was lost from nine eleven to the police warfare state. Um, and and then to and there's and there's obviously so many angles we can we, you know our freedom our freedoms on so many levels are are, are infringed on and corroding because of that. Um, but maybe to start with understanding um, you know classic economics and then how that ties in for you know very layman's terms uh, how that ties into um, the police warfare state. If that makes any sense. Well, I, I wouldn't say that it does. Mm -hmm. uh, the classical economists, um, people like um, Adam Smith, right, Alfred Marshall, uh, even Karl Marx, um, they wanted to tax economic rents, not tax labor and production. They wanted to tax uh, an economic rent is. Um, uh, it's an income stream that you've done nothing to produce. For example, you didn't produce land, but land produces economic activity. If you put a road through undeveloped land, the value of land rises. Um, that is an economic rent. And so the classical economist said, well, instead of taxing people to pay for the road, since the road creates a higher value of property, you tax the property. Or if you put a subway through a city, every all the buildings close to the subway line go up in value. And so that's an economic rent. You tax that. But what happened around the turn of the century, economists really became shills for the banking system. And uh, the banks, of course, they capitalize economic rents and issue mortgages. And so they don't like the rents to be taxed. They want the higher values in the properties, so they issue a higher value mortgages, they get more interest flows, more fees. And so that whole thing, that the whole approach of the classical economists was turned on its head, and instead of taxing economic rents, they tax people's labor, which is, of course, what slavery does, what feudalism does. You know, Americans today, they go on and on about slavery, slavery, but they are also slaves because they don't own their own labor. 
you you owe uh, I mean the minimum is about thirty percent that the government takes fifteen percent is the Social Security Medicare and the bottom income tax rate it may have changed beginning next tax season but it was fifteen so just the ordinary basic person was paying thirty percent that was the tax rate on a medieval serf. And so, as you move up into the upper middle class, uh, the tax rates rise, and people face marginal tax rates. Not ca- if it's a state and city income tax as well, they run over fifty percent, which is more than nineteenth-century um, slave. So. Instead of taxing rents, we tax people's labor, and we tax the uh, the income from capital, from investment and plant machinery. So this was the biggest transformation in economics from the classical to the so-called neoclassical or neoliberal, where you tax labor and output. So I don't think it has anything to do with our foreign policy failures, though possibly some connection somewhere. The foreign policy failures are due to the collapse of the Soviet Union because that removed the only constraint on American unilateralism. Um, During the Soviet era, uh, the United States couldn't bully the entire world because uh, the Soviets could block it or block it in areas that they were close to or allied with. And so there was a limit on the United States' ability to force other countries to comply with Washington's will. When the Soviet Union collapsed, um, the neoconservatives said, hey, look, uh, there's no longer any constraint on us. We can boss the whole world. We can make people do what we want. And so they said, to justify all this, that we were exceptional and indispensable, and which meant that everybody else was unexceptional and dispensable. And so we... Um, had this period that lasted about 20-25 years of American unilateralism. But uh, Russians got tired of it and Putin restored their capability and uh, so now they serve as a constraint and of course the Chinese also serve as a constraint. Um, uh, Washington did not expect the rapid development of China. They said it would be 50 years. It was actually five. And the reason it was five was that all the American firms uh, fired all of their workers and left all of their domestic uh, bases and moved their output to China and took all the technology and business know-how with it. So everything that 
Apple and Nike and every and Boeing and everybody else sells is made in China. And so they can do anything and everything. They have all the technology now, and they have now um, the second largest economy, and then on a purchasing power parity basis, the largest economy. So we have now two constraints on American unilateralism. And this is very upsetting to the neoconservatives and to the military security complex. And so they're trying to do something about it. And they issue threats to Russia. They uh, orchestrate events like this uh, scurple poisoning, uh, Malaysian airline, whatever. And um, they mistakenly think that this somehow is going to um, intimidate Russia. Um, they send the U.S. Navy close to islands. Chinese have claimed that we claim it's not theirs, and they try to intimidate the Chinese. And all this does is provoke them into more military, more military preparedness. And since our military security complex basically is corrupt and has been running for a quarter century just on making nothing that works and having endless cost overruns, um, we're now outclassed. We're outclassed economically by the Chinese and militarily by the Russians, and yet we keep speaking as if we own the world. So I think it's all headed into some kind of a competition that we will come out on the bottom. In in your opinion, who who are these neoconservatives? Um. Uh, they're mainly um, Jews um, allied with Israel, uh, Paul Wolfowitz, uh, Richard Pearl. Um, um, there, there, there's many of them. For example, this Nikki Haley is one. Um, her predecessor, um, Samantha Power, was one. Susan Rice. Victoria Newland, who was the Assistant Secretary of State under Hillary, who pulled all, who organized the coup in the Ukraine. Um, they were um, extremely prominent in the um, George W. Bush administration. They controlled the Pentagon, the State Department. Um, they they have kind of a, an ideology of um, Washington's supremacy over the world. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, they said that the principal goal of American foreign policy was to prevent the rise of any other country that could serve as a constraint on American unilateralism. You know, unilateralism means the ability of the United States to act independently of anything uh, without resistance. 
And so, uh, they, and they also said that in order to um, get this policy in operation, we need a new Pearl Harbor. And that's what 9-11 was. It was their new Pearl Harbor. And it let them um, blame elements in the Middle East, which they wanted to subdue for Israel so Israel could expand. And it was the easiest way to start this new policy of hegemony because it's easier to demonize the Muslims than it was to initially demonize the Russians or the Chinese. So they chose the Middle East to begin this. And unfortunately, they didn't know anything about the Middle East uh, and didn't know anything about the people that they were going to be attacking and stirring up, and none of it worked out like they thought. Um, for example, they destroyed Iraq, but Iraq was uh, Sunni, and the Sunni Muslims were a constraint on the Shiites, and of course now Iraq is Shiite, and it's allied with Iran. <laughs> So so the idiot neoconservatives, I mean, most of them are kind of stupid. They're just very arrogant and full of hubris. But they're not very well educated. And because they don't think they need to be, because, you know, power, power. Who needs to know anything? So what they've done is simply uh, create more unity for the Iranians, and now we're thrown back on the Saudi Arabians. That's the last group we've got there. And, of course, um, they're corrupt beyond all imagination. And that won't work out very well. And, of course, we've been fighting the Taliban in Afghanistan for 17 years. So no longer does the world believe the United States is a superpower because for 17 years it has not been able to defeat a few thousand lightly armed tribesmen. And so when the Russians and the Chinese always talk about superpower, they say, who are you talking about? Us? Right. You're certainly not talking about the Americans. The Taliban whipped their ass. <laughs> so... It's really been a disaster for the United States, these neoconservatives. Um, 17 years of wars, and the only result is chaos and, and more support for the Iranians and the Syrians and more and more isolation of Israel and the United States. If you look at all the polls they take around the world, the two most hated countries are the United States and Israel. If you look at all the polls about what's the greatest threat in the world, well, it's not North Korea and Iran. It's the United States and Israel. So this is what the neoconservatives have done for us. They've destroyed our reputation, made us look ineffectual and weak and, and immoral because we've been bombing women and children for 
17 years in seven or eight countries. And to what effect? To none. To no effect. Right. Not. Go ahead. Yeah. Sir. Well, a thought that comes to my mind is this: this country is great because it's built on the backbone of a most perfect document ever ever created by man, and that is we the people, the U.S. Constitution. And is it is 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 it? In my view, that is what has made this country great because it's given everybody from any walk of life, from any thought of life, to come in and live freely and express themselves and grow. That's how I see that Constitution. However, what it seems is happening with this neoconservative movement is that like clamps onto a sculptured piece of wood they are and and I'm speaking of the banking system uh, perhaps the the economics that or the 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 system that drives that economy um they are manipulating the way that that uh, wood is carved and crafted which is not necessarily the crafting of what would happen if the inhabitants of that country were left to live under the principles of the Constitution. Would that be a correct assessment in your view? If that make any sense to you? <laughs> well, you know, the, all that's left of the United States Constitution is the Second Amendment. Rest of it is torn to shreds. There's no U.S. Constitution. And is that uh, is that a is that a neoconservative movement that's done that to the Constitution? That's well, I yeah, it, it was it's partly their result. Uh, for example, it was George W. Bush who declared the end of habeas corpus. You know, he said, uh, I have the power to throw Americans in prison indefinitely without producing any evidence or giving them a trial. Wow. And then we had President Obama who said, I've got the power to execute Americans without uh, any conviction in court. And all of this came out of... uh, making us safe. You know, it was all part of the response to 9-11. So we lost habeas corpus. Uh, we, we lost uh, um, due process. We, we lost uh, the right to trial before you're executed. Uh, we lost privacy. There's no privacy anymore. Um, there's constant spying on everybody. Everything is is taken down. Internet messages, phone calls, everything. And now they are using Google and Facebook and other of the social media to censor what they publish or censor the YouTube videos and increasingly if the information doesn't fit the official line it's simply erased or blocked 
and they are creating an attitude that if you don't go along with the official lies that you're somehow a traitor or a Russian agent or something like that. And all, all of this is strictly unconstitutional, strictly prohibited, but it's not enforced. And when um, Obama executed uh, those people with a missile, the American citizens that he claims were uh, doing terrorist things, there wasn't any outcry that this is extrajudicial murder. Uh, When all those, you know, the people in Guantanamo, it turned out none of them had done anything. They were all... The United States uh, dropped flyers. You know, after we attacked Afghanistan, what was that, 2001 or something, we um, had to have some justification. We needed terrorists. So they dropped flyers that they were paying a bounty for terrorists. So the various tribesmen just captured any unprotected person and sold them to the Americans. That's how stupid the Americans were. So all the people in Guantanamo were people of various tribes. And had, some of them were just traveling sales <laughs> and sold them to the Americans as terrorists. And, and we took them to Guantanamo, tortured them and all the rest because, oh, we had to have some kind of proof. Well, this is a, the highest form of criminal activity was committed by the, state, the United States government. I mean, it's on a par with anything uh, Adolf Hitler did or Joseph Stalin. And now we've appointed, or Trump has now appointed, uh, as head of the CIA, the woman who ran the torture camps. So what does that tell you about the United States or the government? And where's the outcry? Why aren't people protesting? Do we want somebody who ran the torture camps uh, as the director of the CIA? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Apparently nobody cares. (laughs) So um, I don't think there is a constitution. There is... um, Executive edicts, executive orders. We don't have a media. Right. The media just is a propaganda ministry. It, it simply repeats ad infinitum whatever lies that come out, you know. And the Russians shot down a Malaysian airline. Uh, the Russians invaded Ukraine. Uh, the Russians poisoned a spy. Uh, it's, no one ever asked what sense any of this makes or looks into it. They just repeat it over and over and over. And um, and Putin stole the election for Trump. And, you know, it's endless. It's it's all nonsense. It's, it's not a speck of truth. And the people saying it know that. They know they're lying. And they're shameless. They have enough shame. So when you have a media that lies for its living, 
and has no shame, and you got a government that has no respect whatsoever of the Constitution. Uh, it's very difficult to say it's a great country. It's difficult to say that it's a country because the United States was the Constitution, just like you said. That's what we were. We were the Constitution. That's what defined the United States as a country. The United States Constitution defined us as a country. So when they throw it away, what are you? That's the big open question. What, what are we without the Constitution? It's like I say, the only thing that exists of the Bill of Rights, um, of the amendments, is the Second Amendment. And they've got the school children now out marching to get rid of that. Right. So, I don't think that uh, we have any right or any grounds on which to be optimistic about the United States. Uh, if you look at all the corporations, uh, of course, it was partly the fault of Wall Street, but they deserted their communities, their states, the cities, their workforce. They moved, they moved offshore. So everything that you buy from American companies made in China or Indonesia or right. somewhere. And it's, it's left uh, the former industrial manufacturing cities. They're, they're in ruins. And so are the pension systems in those states. And, um, you know, the, the St. Louis Federal Reserve came out with a report recently, and it showed that all of the gains in employment since 2007 went to people 55 years of old age and older. Wow. And people under 55 years have lost almost 700,000 jobs since 2007. So why is that? Why? Because these are people, retirees, um, they get no interest income on their savings. They get no Social Security cost of living adjustments because the government lies about the inflation rate and tells them there's no inflation. And so they have to go and take part-time jobs, which are the only jobs available. They go take the part-time jobs at Walmart and Home Depot and wherever. And those jobs are not sufficient for an independent existence. So a young person can't rent an apartment on a part-time job. And so we have the statistics that 52% of all Americans, 25 years old, live at home with their parents. Wow. And we have the statistics that more Americans in the age 24 to 34, 24 to 34, live at home with their parents than live independently. And that's because they can't get employment that supports an independent existence. Because the jobs are gone. It's not just the manufacturing jobs. 
It's the software engineering jobs, the IT jobs. The, anything that can be done anywhere and sent in on a computer is offshore. And and even and even the jobs they keep here, they bring in foreign workers on H one B visas. Right. Because they they can bring them in for one third less pay. And the people have no rights. They can't organize. They can't do anything because one bad thing and they're out. So you have a situation where people go to university. They come out expecting the jobs. They were told that we're going to pay off the student loans and their jobs aren't there. There are now even Georgia Tech graduates who can't get jobs. My goodness. Yeah, this, this is the third best engineering school in the country. Right. There are now Georgia Tech graduates that can't find jobs. Paul, is this being done by design? Is this is it? I don't I don't know if it's designed. I, I think it's done by profit. See, um, sometimes these firms don't want. The CEO doesn't want to leave the community. He's a figure there. He feels bad. But Wall Street tells him, uh, if you don't do it, we're going to finance a takeover and take you over because we, there's more money to be made. If you drop your labor costs, the profits go up, the shareholders get capital gains, uh, we do better. So if you don't take your company offshore, we're going to finance takeover and take the company away, and then we'll take it offshore. So they, the, the Wall Street bastards have forced it. I, and I know of some cases where they were actually forced by those threats, but in other cases, they sit there and they say, look, um, if we go offshore, look at the drop in the labor costs, look at the rise in the profits. This means we get huge bonuses because the pay of of the executives is basically bonus-based. You know, their salaries are capped tax-wise at a million dollars. But unless it's performance-driven, and what does performance-driven mean? It means a higher stock price. So how do you get a higher stock price? You make more profits, so... If you lay off all your American workers at $25 an hour and you go to China for $2.50 an hour, you get a huge increase in your profits. And so up goes the share price, the shareholders are happy, and you've got all kinds of bonus claims. And not only that, but any stock options you've got, they go way up. So. It's it's basically just economics. It's the way the incentive system is designed that means that they get most of their pay out of their bonuses, not out of their official salary. And to drive the bonus, you have to drive the share price. This is another reason why they use their profits and even go in debt and borrow money from banks in order to buy back their own shares of their own company. You know, one of the biggest uh, reasons 
for the high stock market is the companies have been spending all of their profits plus borrowing from banks wow. to buy back their own shares. In other words, there's a huge demand but for the shares that they create themselves. Well, that when they do that, the share prices go up, up go their bonuses. You know, an exact, a, a CEO is... He gets there around 59 or 60. He's got about five years to get rich. Mm -hmm. And so that's how they do it. So it's not exactly by design. I don't think Congress had any idea of the consequence of saying that anybody that's paid more than a million dollars, it's not tax deductible to the firm. Salary is not tax deductible. It's not a cost, in other words. They were trying to limit the uh, worsening of the income distribution by limiting executive pay. They thought a million dollars a year was enough for anybody. But the consequence is that they now, unless it's performance driven, so now how are you? just explain how they get it performance driven <laughs> right. they destroy the cities and states and everybody's work opportunity and work career and take the jobs offshore that's now how they get so this also shows there's not really any respect for the country by the executives or by Wall Street because if the executives don't do this Wall Street says okay we're financing the takeover of your company goodbye so, you know, in other words, Wall Street, instead of financing more investment in the United States, right. which is what it's supposed to do, it drives the investment offshore. And nobody asked them about this. They're not held accountable. The financial press doesn't say a word because they all paid off. And... Um, the senators don't say a word. Now, a few years ago, in fact, it's more than a few years ago, I think it was around 2005 or something, uh, Senator Schumer from New York, a New York Democrat, con contacted me and said, look, this is a serious thing. We're losing these jobs, and would you co-author an article with me in the New York Times? I said, yes, we'll do that, and we did. It ran just after New Year's that whichever year that was. And it was pointing out what I've just told you would be the consequences. And uh, there was a huge uh, uh, conference in Washington about it, and he and I were there and speaking, and it was televised. And, and it looked like we'd done some good. But then Wall Street went to Schumer and said, you must be crazy. We're not going to finance you for your next election. Wow. And he went silent. <laughs> I mean, you can't really blame him. I mean, why should he give up his career for nothing? Since um, they could very easily get him out, as they made clear to him, you're not getting any more money from us. Whoever runs against you, we'll finance them. So that's the way the country really works. And this is why it's very difficult to be 
it, optimistic. Is it? Uh, there's you know there's there's uh, there's different to kind of close out here. There's a lot of different moving parts here, and obviously, um, I think uh, listeners want to try to do their best to understand what's going on and then what can they do if there's anything that they can do it the federal reserve has been a big kind of question mark with me uh you know i mean it doesn't get audited uh, that was kind of one of the first things back uh in 1913 the federal reserve exists in order to save the big banks uh-huh the, the 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 trustees the, the 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 New York Federal Reserve Bank is the operating arm, and the trustees of that bank are the executives of the three big New York banks: J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, Citibank. So, the Federal Reserve works for the banks too big to fail, uh-huh. and to hell with everybody else. Right. When when they when the Congress it was Clinton when when Clinton and the Congress repealed Glass Steagall they destroyed the banking system <clears throat> because the commercial banks now are investment banks and they can use shareholder deposits for speculation so they don't make loans anymore they speculate they buy derivatives they and the derivatives on everything, not just mortgages, but currencies, for example. Auto loans. They even, I think, even have student loan derivatives now. Hmm. So it's all speculation. It's a casino. Right. They don't lend. They don't lend to business to build a plant or a factory. Or, and nobody would because they'd have to pay wages related to the American cost of living instead of the Indonesian cost of living or the Chinese cost of living. So essentially, uh, Americans have lost that country. And talk a little bit about, uh, talk a little bit about the police warfare state and describe what that means, uh, for the average American, um, and, and Look, you, you have a police state when the police can stop you without cause right. and search you without cause, and if you resist, kill you or arrest you for any kind of charge they want to claim. The, the police, the police are off the leash. They, they can they can rob you. Um, and they do. So even without getting it connected into the police state activities of the government, the police are already essentially a form of mafia. Mm. And, and, and anybody can can suffer the consequences. Even children. I mean, they shoot people in wheelchairs. They shoot kids. They and they're unaccountable. Nothing ever happens. Or very seldom does anything happen. 
But if you complain about it, then the conservatives will say, oh, well, if we don't have the police, well, the criminals will kill us in our beds. And they don't realize that it's more dangerous to call the police than to face a criminal. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the government at every level does not represent anybody but whatever the interest groups are that feed it. In Florida, it's the real, it's the real estate speculators. Right. Real estate speculation rules Florida. Example, I'm in the Florida Panhandle, and real estate speculation has destroyed every community here. In fact, there is no longer any communities, for example, in South Walton, Florida, because they've all been turned into commercial rental areas. So they cut and for example, you you could be in an area zoned for single family dwellings. So a real estate speculator goes down and says, Okay, I'm building a single family dwelling and turns out it sleep thirty people. Well what single family dwelling sleeps thirty people? Nope, none. They're building rental units. Commercial enterprises in under the guise of single family dwellings. Well, this is fraud. It's absolute fraud, and the county commissions don't care. The code never enforces. So, and the communities are helpless. So, they disappear. And what was a community becomes constant noise of party houses. Next to you goes up two party houses, so you sell too. So that's the notion that there's any kind of government in the United States that responds to anybody other than the moneyed interests that feed them is ridiculous. There's no such thing as the public interest. So, this is all very depressing, but it's truthful. Right. And um, how did it happen? Because nobody paid any attention. Everybody, oh, we're the greatest country, and didn't pay attention. And so it's happened. And, and now we've got to, we, we've created two enemies, either one of which can kick us <laughs> off the earth. And, if they, and all of humanity with us. And right. so why did we do that? What did you, what's the gain of that, you know? Right. I mean, if you were sitting at the bar with Mike Tyson, would you try to uh, <laughs> make him mad? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I, I, what is the point of it? It's just, so, so now we got anybody. Everybody hates Russia. Right. Well, if you... If you're a Russian, you sit there and say, you know what they did? First of all, they did this to Saddam Hussein. What happened to him? <laughs> then they did this to Gaddafi. What happened to him? In Somalia, in Yemen, in Assad, in Syria, and they tried to do it around. They, now they're doing it to us. Are they going to attack us? And it's like Putin said, if you see a fight's unavoidable, strike first. So with all these warnings, here we are provoking 
countries that are every bit as powerful as we are militarily. And you got to say, why? Where's the intelligence in this? What does this achieve? And my conclusion is there's no intelligence in Washington. Mm-hmm. I was there 25 years. Wow. And the, when, when I went there, yeah. and even when I left, there were still intelligent people. But they aren't now. I don't, there's nobody, I, don't, I wouldn't say there's an ounce of intelligence there. What's the what's the big difference in, in the in the type of person that's in D.C. now to when you were in there? Well, when I was there, they were from an earlier time. They were better educated. They had morals. They had some sense of the country. They had some sense of service. They weren't there just for them. They understood uh, that war was uh, a last resort. It wasn't something you provoked. And all that's gone. The kinds of people that were there don't exist anymore. We haven't produced those kinds of people. We haven't produced. So when they died out, they were just gone. And the kind that we've been producing are just not up to the job. Well, look, uh, we've talked a long time. I think I've demoralized your listeners enough. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go feed the feral cats. There are feral cats here, and good for you. I'm gonna go feed them because um, they keep down the snake and rat population. Paul, thanks for joining uh, the program. Been a pleasure having you on. Okay, thanks. Thanks for sharing your audience. All the best to you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Craig Roberts joining us today, giving us a incredible perspective to the direction that he sees his country headed. And he spent uh, a quarter of his life not only serving the country, but serving it from the heart of where that country operates, and that would be Washington, D.C. An extremely wise, very well-educated individual, and I think that there are many points of uh, wisdom that can be gathered. If there's anything that I would say that could be done, Folks, I would say it's exactly what I'm doing, and that is I started this program a little over a year ago because a pesticide was being sprayed for the threat of a virus that's been around since the 1940s. It's called Zika. And the research that I put in to try and understand both the pesticide and the virus led me down very astonishing avenues. I urge you, while you can, to speak up about an issue that you may find troubling, 
controversial or that you don't agree with because you can. And as you heard Paul mention the media outlets, which I understand, mass media, CBS, ABC, NBC, they're shrinking in ownership. That means they're being controlled by fewer and fewer hands. That's not good. That means what we're doing right now is becoming that much more important. Is there an answer to the state of economics in this country? Al McCoy was a former guest of mine. He rose some parallel issues that Paul Craig Roberts just rose, and that is the United excuse me, the United States is not keeping up with the times in regards to China. China is becoming a major threat. Economically, militarily. We need to band together, folks. We love this country. You gotta make it great. Keep it great. If we can. I believe we can. There's a lot that we can do. And again, as long as we can voice our opinion, keep voicing it. I appreciate your support. And I appreciate you listening to my program as I work weekly to bring you an incredible guest, to bring you incredible insight on how to be a better person. Our time here is short. And like always... My bottom line is be awesome. Thanks for listening, folks. And until next week, you've tuned in to Winwood Radio. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier, for discussions. 